0: All right, you can go ahead and take a seat. I had to be a quick change artist real quick. Uh, You may think of this as a good day or a bad day, but I'm speaking. So maybe, yeah, woohoo! Maybe you won't know until the end if it's good or bad, so uh, we'll we'll hold out judgment. But uh, we're starting a new series today. It's two weeks in the book of Jonah, and the series title is Hashtag Why I Run. Now, I don't know about you, But the whole hashtag thing has been a little bit of a mystery to me at times. Uh, Because I have friends that I would call over-hashtaggers, like over-sharers, everything they do turns into a sentence that's all jumbled together so you can't really tell what it says. Like, taking out the trash. Uh, Hashtag, just went down the stairs. Why would I need to hashtag some of these little uh, small life events? But when hashtags are used correctly, I've figured this out by studying it, they're actually pretty helpful and interesting because it's a way for you to search uh, on social media similar experiences to the one that you felt strongly enough about to hashtag. So for instance, hashtag why I run, we have several examples of people answering that question. This guy runs because of what he gets to see in nature, things in God's creation. He says, where I run is why I run. I like his username, Old Brain Teacher. I'm not sure what that, what that means. The next one, um, she answers the question by saying, running helped her through a difficult personal time in her life. So something about getting out and exercising helped her just physically and mentally, and so she wanted people to know that. She did hashtag why I run. The next one says, he likes to have medals apparently. Uh, six in a row, he's done this race six times, so he's accomplishing something. He feels like he's meeting a goal uh, by running. The next one, this would be me. Uh, <laughs> right? So you can eat whatever you want and not feel guilty. Right? <laughs> 10 mile run along the Royal Canal, then home to make pancakes. So uh, guilt-free pancakes in that way. And this is a joke that I've heard over the years in various forms, but I think a lot of people, this is why they run. Uh, they're getting chased by a bear and the first person says, hey, I don't have to outrun the bear, just you, right? So just gotta be a little faster than your friend. But when you think about uh, hashtag why I run and all the various reasons that people run, my personal one um, is that I have a genetic predisposition to have a little basketball form at my waist. This is the Ingram shape. Uh, My dad has it, I have it, I don't know, Josh and Andrew, you may have it someday. Uh, But so this basketball right here, it'll inflate over time. And so I run to deflate the basketball every now and then. Uh, So there's lots of different reasons for running. Um, For the two weeks of our series, we're going to look at running from two different perspectives. The first one this week being running from God. Next week, running to God. And so as we go through this, obviously we're not talking about physical running. I want you to think about how you would answer the hashtag why I run in relation to your walk with God. And you may come in today and you think, I'm not running, I'm good. Uh, well, hold on, because God may have something different to say to us today if we're willing to really listen. So today, talking about running from Him in disobedience. Next week, talking about running to Him in repentance. So I hope you'll be here both weeks to hear that. And we're exploring these ideas by looking at the Old Testament book of Jonah. This is like one page in your Bible. I think it's on page 861, if you notice that slide on the, of the first slide. Um, it's somewhere in the 860s, and it's like one page. Yeah, 861, I remembered it, that's great. Um, and this book is pretty famous. I mean, after all, it has a VeggieTales movie, right? <laughs> it doesn't get much more famous than that when you have a VeggieTales movie about uh, the book in the Bible. But it's, it's usually talked about because of the big fish. Everything focuses a lot of times on the big fish. Well, I want you to know if, you're, if that's what you're looking for, you're going to be disappointed in the next couple of weeks because I want to focus on what happens in Jonah's heart, what's going on with him before the fish, and then after the fish. Um, and hopefully, God's going to reveal some things to us about our own answers to the hashtag Why I Run as we explore this for the next couple of weeks. So let's pray together before we dive in. God, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for the gift of worship that we can come together, we can lift our voices, we can share the truth of our experience with you, we can draw attention to you, we can remind ourselves, maybe, if we're not focused on you, that we're not here for ourselves, we're here for you. This day is set aside so that we can focus and give our heart and our life to you. And God, so that you can teach us. And so I pray, God, in the next few minutes, that that's what this is that you would teach us through your spirit, be powerful in this place, and help us not to put any barriers in the way of what you want to say and do in our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So who was Jonah? Where did he live? What was life like in his context? I think it's important always to kind of understand what's going on in the book of the Bible, the time of the book, the person that it's written about or or to. Um, And Jonah was a prophet who lived during the peaceful and prosperous time of King Jeroboam II. All of you remember that from your history class, right? King Jeroboam II pops right in your head. Now, that's about 793 to 753 BC. And we know that from a reference in 2 Kings 14. So if you're a biblical history buff and you want to see how they figured that out, you can go look in 2 Kings 14. But basically, this is a golden age for the Israelites. Um, The northern kingdom, Assyria is not an immediate threat. It's going to be a pretty big threat coming up, but it's not an immediate threat right now. Things seem great spiritually, but underneath there's some things wrong with the heart of the nation of Israel because King Jeroboam introduced some idol worship and other prophets during this time, Hosea, Joel, Amos, they all condemn the Israelites for being materialistic and selfish. So they're very much about themselves and about the benefits of being God's people. They're really excited about that, and they don't want to share it with anybody else. So life is peaceful. Things seem to be going well, but they're not following God. They'd really lost his heart for the nations because God had given the Israelites an incredible promise, an incredible blessing, but that blessing also had a mission and a purpose. And I want to remind you of what I'm talking about. It's in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Um, It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is the promise where God says to Abram, go, be obedient to me, leave the place where you are. I'm gonna use you to create a great nation. That nation turned into these people we're talking about here in the book of Jonah, Israel. And so they had kind of lost track of part of this. They enjoyed being blessed, but they were blessed to be a blessing to others, even to the demonstrating to the world that their God was the one true God. That was their purpose. That's why they were called out. That's why they were set apart. Not so they could just enjoy it for themselves but so that they could show other nations that their God was the one true God. So over the centuries, they kind of settled into the benefit side of the blessing and lost the mission. So into that setting drops Jonah. Okay, This is the context that he's in. He lived in a small village. I have the name here, but I'm not going to say it because it's a, it's a weird name. and It's not going to mean anything to you anyway. But he lived in this really small village. Kind of close to Nazareth. Now, that's, a, that's one we know, right? That's the hometown of Jesus. So he was close to Nazareth, and he, he's somewhat close to this port city named Joppa on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea. And God comes along, and he gives Jonah a mission to remind him, but more so to use him to remind the Israelites of his heart for all people, a reminder of the purpose behind them being chosen and set apart by him. So I want to pick it up in Jonah chapter 1. So, first three verses, we got a lot of action already in this small book. Um, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, which was at the heart of the Assyrian Empire. And I don't know how much you know about the Assyrian Empire. They were kind of leaving Israel alone at this point, but they were still known for being wicked, for being cruel, for their torture of their enemies and their captives. Uh, So the idea of Jonah leaving his comfortable spot and heading to Assyria to call out against it, to call out the destruction of God against it. He wasn't too thrilled with that idea, uh, to put it mildly. And we see that Jonah was trying to flee, not just from doing that job or that mission. He was actually trying to flee from the presence of God, and I think that's super significant. He knew he was being disobedient, and he said, I don't want any part of that. I'm actually going to run far enough that God just can't even see me anymore, and I won't have to worry about what he told me to do. Um, He heads to the port city of Joppa, and he pays a fare to get on a ship to Tarshish. Now, I know all of you know where Joppa is and Tarshish is, right? <laughs> so I didn't either, really. So I'm, I got a map for us so we can kind of see what Jonah did here. So right over there, Joppa, that's where he got on the ship. He's supposed to be going to Nineveh, 550 miles to the east. He decides, I'm going to head the other direction, 2,500 miles. And you can see there, Tarshish is right on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean. So a lot of people think that wasn't his final destination. That was just the next ship he was going to get on to try to go even further because that was the gateway to the rest of the known world at the time for them because they had to get out of the Mediterranean Sea to go anywhere else around Africa or or anywhere. So he went 3,000. He was was planning. He didn't quite get there. He was planning to go 3,000 miles in the opposite direction from what God told him to do. So when Jonah ran, he really ran right? He took off. Uh, He didn't just want to get away from the mission. He was literally trying to outrun the presence of God. I think about uh, when I was in youth camp and then a student pastor for years, one of the things they always did at camp was they let kids get into these groups during the afternoons and kind of do different activities they were interested in, things like softball or basketball or um, drama or worship. And there was always the drama group that would do a skit. They'd get together and work on it all week long, and then they'd do a skit one of the nights in worship. And it seemed like every year from the time I was in student ministry until the time I was leading students to take them to camp, this one skit was always one of the skits. And it it really impacted me the first time. Uh, For the years following, I started to kind of go, oh, here we go again. But um, it really impacted me. So it was this person that would be standing on stage, kind of going about their normal daily life. So they'd start to get ready in the morning, and this person's like shadowing them, following them everywhere they go, and they're kinda annoyed, like they keep noticing, why is this person behind me as I'm putting on my makeup? That wouldn't be me, of course. Uh, And then, uh, so they go over here, and they're starting to maybe read their Bible in the morning, do their devotion, and they notice that person behind them. It's still kinda creepy. Uh, They go to school, they go to work, Uh, later that evening, they're deciding whether to go somewhere that they know God would not want them to go, to be part of something they know God would not want them to be part of. And this varied during the different skits, uh, different people made, different situations. But just knowing that they're choosing to go into something they know is against God's will for them. They're choosing to sin. And so when they see this person behind them, they're really annoyed and they don't want them to follow. And they say, no, you cannot go with me when I go to this. And right when they say that, there's this real dramatic moment where they say no, you cannot go with me and that shadow that's been with them the whole time puts their hands up like this and then they realize that, th- that person that's been following them, that's been with them all day long is Jesus. And they just uh, told him that he could not be part of what they were about to do. It's a rem- it was a good reminder that when we have Jesus in our life, he's always with us. He always sees. You cannot outrun the presence of God, and it's our sin that put him on the cross. It was a good reminder of that. But he wouldn't have stayed there. He would have been with them even in that choice that they were making. Um, Sometimes we think about running, and maybe it's not that we get on a ship to go 3,000 miles in the opposite direction. Maybe it's just we know we're not supposed to do something, and we do it anyway, hoping that God's not looking. Or maybe it's we know there's something we should do, and we choose not to, Because if Jonah had just stayed in his village, he would have been just as disobedient. We make a big deal about how he jumped in a ship to go the opposite direction, but the fact that he said no to God was the problem, not what he tried to do by running. And I think we do the same thing, don't we? Sometimes it's as simple as not doing what he's asked us to do. Uh, That person that God told you to reconcile with, that you avoid instead. That spiritual next step, He's impressed on you to take, that you continue to delay or ignore. That sin that he's convicted you about that you just won't give up. That calling to serve him in a specific way that you've decided maybe is just a little too much to ask. Let's not be too quick to judge Jonah and his jumping in the boat and assume we're better off. Because maybe we're not running, but maybe we're just as disobedient. So. When we start to understand the reasons behind why Jonah ran, we can start to draw some parallels to our lives and our motivations. We don't really get any clues into Jonah's reason for running. We just go straight to the action, right? He just goes straight to the ship and jumps on it and tries to get away. We actually get some um, clues later on in the book, but I want to get you there first. So even though we're going to spend a lot of time on this part of the story Next week, I want you to, to know where we're at when we get there. Um, he gets on this boat. He's headed in the opposite direction. A huge storm comes up while they're out at sea. The, the mariners are really scared. They don't know what's going on. They try, they try to figure out. They're praying to their gods. Why isn't anything working? Who's responsible for this? And they finally cast lots to see where the fault lies, and the lot falls on Jonah. Jonah finally, he, he admits, I'm running from my God. That's why this is happening. You need to throw me overboard. Well, they don't want to do that, even though everything's telling them that they should. They don't want to do that, so they try to row to shore. They try some other things, throw stuff off, but eventually they realize, no, that's what we've got to do. So they throw Jonah overboard, assuming they're killing him, and that's when the great fish comes. God swallows up Jonah in the great fish, and he spends three days and nights in the fish until he finally turns to God in repentance. The fish spits him out on dry land. Jonah goes and does his mission, and then we, we see his heart. We start to understand it. He has a conversation with God after what may be the smallest description of the biggest revival uh, in, in history um, in Nineveh. God sees their repentance, and he relents, and he does not destroy them. And so Jonah and God have this conversation after that repentance and salvation, and we see what's really going on. And it's in chapter 4, if you want to flip over one page or look across the page, whatever it is, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. That's such a nice way to say that. Jonah was really mad. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So here Jonah reveals why he ran away. And I don't know if you picked up on it, but I said it already. He was super mad. He was mad because he knew God was, he would give Nineveh a chance. And God did exactly what he thought he would. When Nineveh repented and turned to him, God relented from the disaster, from the judgment that Jonah was sent there to preach. It seems terrible, right? Why would, he be, why would he be upset, angry, exceedingly bothered by the fact that God forgave the people of Nineveh and gave them another chance? He did not want Nineveh to be forgiven. He did not think they deserved a chance and he knew God would probably give them that chance if they repented. He fled because he knew the heart of God and he didn't want it to happen for these people. He didn't want any part in seeing God's mercy mercy and compassion extended to the Assyrians. We're talking about an extreme dislike here, right? A feeling so strong that he would rather flee in the opposite direction and even face death than um, tell the Ninevites, about God, he felt like they deserved God's judgment. So his first answer, if Jonah was on Twitter back in the day and he was answering hashtag why I run, Jonah would have said, I just don't like the Assyrians. He would have said, "Um, I simply do not like the Assyrians and I don't want them to have the chance for redemption. Now, again, we're gonna look at Jonah and we're we're gonna get kinda smug and say, man, Can't believe he thought that. Hold on a second, Um, because I think there's a passage in the book of James that's going to help us see maybe how this relates to us. It's James chapter 2. I'm just going to read it for you, verses 1 through 4. "'My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly,' And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in this good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And here's where it really kind of brings it home in verses 8 and 9. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But... If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Hear that phrase again. If you're showing partiality, you are committing sin. You know, if I'm honest, if I really sit still and think about my heart at times, I feel like I would have to include partiality as a reason that I don't do what God has told me to do. Or why I don't share with someone God has told me to share with or to serve in a way that God has told me to serve. I feel like a lot of times, if I'm honest, I'm just like Jonah, that I decide who should hear God's message based on what I believe to be true in my heart rather than to carry that message the way that he's told us to. Um, so Jonah's reason, I just didn't like him. Um, second reason that he might have tweeted, if he was tweeting back then, on why I run, is he wanted to keep God's mercy and love for himself and his people. Now this is similar to the other one, but it's from a, a slightly different perspective. Think for a moment what the world sees when it looks at the church. Try to, try to think as someone that's outside the church. What does the world see when they say that see the church? And I don't just mean common ground. I mean the church, God's people all around the world. I'm afraid that a lot of times the perception is exactly kind of the heart of Jonah here. That's what people think. They see a group of people that are huddled together, enjoying the benefits of community and salvation. But it's a tight huddle with our backs to the outside right? We're on the inside. It's like in football, the quarterback's telling us to play because we don't want anyone else to hear it. And in church, sometimes we lock arms and we're so excited about what God's doing among us and in our own lives, we forget that our backs are turned to all those on the outside. And the huddle is so tight, if someone does want to get get in, they don't see a way. Like, I wouldn't want to wedge myself in between football players. Uh, it's kind of the same idea. The, the, the huddle is so tight, they don't see how they themselves can get in. And Jonah had this mentality uh, locked up. It had overtaken all of Israel. Instead of being a blessing, they were focused on keeping it to themselves. And I think it's fascinating because one who had received God's mercy was unwilling to extend mercy to others. One who had experienced God's love was unwilling to share that love with others. One who had felt God's compassion did not want to see that compassion exercised on others. One who benefited from the patience of God, but he resented God when he showed that same patience to others. Jonah was real comfortable being part of the chosen people of God, but strongly against opening that door to anyone else. And that's, that's a problem because that does not match the heart of God. It didn't match up with why God had called them to be his people. Because God's concern and love for people is universal. God is the ultimate judge, right? He's the ultimate judge, but he sent a savior, Jesus, his son. He desires to show mercy and love to all that repent, turn from their sin, believe in him, and follow Jesus. I once heard a kid tell his brother, it might, might have been at my house, but I don't think so. Uh, <clears throat> It would have been a sister if it was at my house, but I once heard a kid tell his brother in what I would call a moment of extreme meanness, there's two kinds of people in the world, excuse me, two kinds of people in the world, people that don't like you and people that just haven't met you yet. Let that sink in for a second. Two kinds of people in the world, people that don't like you and people that just haven't met you yet. Now don't go home and say that to your brother or sister. I'm not trying to give you ammunition today. But man, that hurts. But I want you to know, there really are only two kinds of people in the world. Those that know God through a personal relationship with His Son, Jesus, and those that need to know God because they're lost in their sin. Um, Way too often we think the two types are those that know and those that don't. But that misses a big part of the picture. There's those that know and those that need to know. And those that need to know... um, are to hear about that need from those that know. God's design is that those that know act as His messengers, missionaries, and ambassadors to those that need to know. So when the world thinks about the church, the picture that they should have is still a huddle. I think that's a good picture because we do lock arms. We do encourage one another. We do celebrate. We do um, benefit from that Uh, communion from being part of that family. It's a tight-knit group. But instead of being turned inward, we're turned outward. Think about a huddle turned outward, focused on how can we share what this is that we're experiencing with those that we see, with those that we come in contact with. Our attention and our focus on how God wants to send us out to be part of his kingdom growth, always ready to expand the circle a little bit to let someone else in. That's the picture. So, again, think about how you would answer if you were gonna tweet today, hashtag why I run, how would you answer that? Why do you run? Why are you disobedient? What are some of the reasons? And the first critical question I think you have to answer is whether or not you actually have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Which one of those categories are you? Are you one that knows God? Are you still one that needs to know? God, because you can attend church, be a good person, and never actually surrender your life to Him and follow Him. Repent and believe is what He tells us to do. Repent and believe in the power of Jesus to save you and change your life. And maybe that's you today. You know you've never truly accepted that, and God offers that to you through Jesus. Or maybe you've accepted that, you follow Him, you've repented and believed, but you have not followed in obedience in baptism. Baptism is where you tell people what God has done. You show people through the symbolic death and resurrection that he's given you new life, that he's transformed you. Um, Maybe he's saying to you today, stop putting that off. It's something Jesus told us we should do in obedience to him. If either of those describes you, we want to know. That's why we exist. Because we are, as a church, we want to be a church that's locked arms looking outward. We want to make room for the next person to join that circle. So if you need to know more about knowing Jesus or about being baptized, use your Connect card. You can write anything you want on there. There's some boxes you can check. But that's a way for you to communicate with us what God's doing in your heart, in your life, so that we can then help you, so that we can walk with you, we can pray with you, we can give you things to help you in your your next steps of what that means. Now, what about the rest of us? How would you answer the question? Hashtag why I run. Do you ever find yourself fighting God? Your desire, like Jonah, pulling you one way, and God's desires are leading you in another. I think these words of Jesus in Matthew 15. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah, so we know that this was a problem in Isaiah's day. We know Jesus wants to talk about it in his day, and I think it's still an issue that we need to pay attention to today. Jesus says, quoting Isaiah, These people honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. It's not, a, it's not a new or isolated problem. We like to pretend that we have it all together, but God wants our heart and our actions to line up with His. And He doesn't call us to tell people how bad they are man, Christians have gotten really good at this, unfortunately. We tell people how bad they are, how much they don't understand, how how messed up they are. God calls us to share with people how badly they need Jesus, and then He takes care of transforming their life. So, God doesn't call us to decide with partiality who deserves to hear about His mercy and love. This was a hard question. I dealt with this one a lot this week as I of course prepared for this, but is there a Nineveh in your heart? Is there somewhere or someone or some place that God would say to you, "I want you to go and share with them about Me," and you would say, "No, they don't deserve to hear about you. They don't deserve to receive the same forgiveness that I've found." Is there something you refuse to do for God? Someone you see as outside of His love, and for whatever reason, you failed to follow through on that direction or call in your life, possibly even running in the other direction, or maybe just sitting still, which is just as disobedient. Because God calls us to share His love, to carry His compassion, to tell of His mercy, to be that picture to the world of a huddle of loving servants that are supporting one another, but focused outward. That's one reason we're going to have a Serve Sunday at the end of April. We've, we do this periodically, probably twice a year. So at the, it's been a while, and there's a lot of new faces since we did the last one. But uh, we actually gather here really quick, and then we go and serve and love the community as our worship for that day. And, and this time it's going to be a little different. Instead of just doing one thing, we're actually going to have different um, pockets of people serving in different ways all over our, our community on that day. And so, it's going to be a fantastic opportunity for us to represent exactly what we're talking about with our focus outward, to be that picture of loving servants huddled together but wanting to love and serve the community. So, if you're running today in whatever way, for whatever reason, take a moment because we're going to enter into a time of response like we normally do. We want you to have the freedom in that moment to respond to God, to respond to what He's saying to respond to what he's telling you. Um, That might mean to just stay and pray in your seat. It might mean to talk to someone. There'll be someone over here that'll be willing to pray with you. Um, It might mean that you sing as loud as you can with all your heart, celebrating what God has done in your life. It might mean you need to turn something over to him. Whatever it is, you can communicate with us on that card. You can come and talk to someone. But let us help you. We want you to have the freedom to respond to God and what he is saying, and what he wants you to do. So stop running. Your disobedience holds you back from God's best. You know, I think about a, a scene from the movie Forrest Gump. I've only seen it once, and it made me cry like for two hours, so I've never watched it again. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, Jennifer and I were dating at the time, and I think she thought, I don't know about this guy. Uh, but anyway, so we're wa- Forrest Gump, you know, one day he just starts running. And he doesn't know why exactly. He just starts running, and you see this graphic where he goes across the country. He says he like gets to the ocean, and he doesn't know what to do, so he just turns around and keeps running. And he gets to the other ocean, and he just he turns around and he keeps running. Eventually, he's got this like gigantic nasty beard, and um, he's been running for years apparently. Of course, it's fiction, but I think it's really interesting as an illustration. So a reporter's like, "Why are you running? Why are you running?" And he finally says, "What? Well, I don't know." And he just stops. And he goes and does something else, right? Amazing. He does like all these amazing things. But during that time that he was running, he missed out on everything else that could have been happening in his life. And I think we do the same thing. We get into this mode of disobedience. We don't even know why. And we just keep running. I want to tell you today, be like Forrest Gump. Just stop. Stop running from God. Stop taking away what He wants to do in your life because of your disobedience. God wants the best for you. So when He calls you out to do something, it's not to, um, to hurt you. It's to love you. It's the best for you. He wants you to be part of who He is and what He's doing and how He's moving. So say yes to Him this morning as we head into our time of response. Let's pray together. God, we thank You so much for the fact that we can repent of our running. God, I thank you for showing me all the different ways that I have run from you. I thank you for the truth of Jonah, that it's more than just a fish story, but it's an example of your heart for us and for the nations. God, as we enter into this time of response, I pray that more than anything, people would just be ready to say yes to you as we worship and as we reflect on the truth of who you are and what you've done. God, help us today to stop running. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.